big question is this, how do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness and our longevity? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Well, hello, all you beautiful cyclists. It is Sarah and I'm back with my Saturday solo cast where I delve a little bit deeper into our sport from a newbie's perspective. Now, as La Vuelta España is lighting up our TV screens at the minute, I wanted to find out a little bit more about this amazing race and share it with you. A couple of questions that have come in this week about one in particular was asking Anthony you know, which tour would he like to win? And um, I had a question from Liam from Bristol this week. And, you know, he was wondering why in his mind La Volta doesn't get as much respect or coverage as the Tour or the Giro d'Italia. Now, while I'm not sure that this is the case in modern times, it certainly is historically accurate. So stay with me for the next couple of minutes when I tell you about some of the most fascinating aspects of the Spanish Grand Tour and we'll meet some of the more incredible characters and I'll try to dispel the notion that La Vuelta is kind of the bronze medalist of the Grand Tours because I love La Vuelta. I've never been lucky enough to go over and see it but um, hopefully that will change next year. So back in 1903 the Tour de France was started and then it was very quickly followed by the start of the Giro d'Italia in 1909 and seeing the success of both of the races a Spanish newspaper owner Juan Pujol started La Vuelta in 1935 which was really amazing considering Europe and the world at large was in turmoil at the time. If you think about it Hitler had just been elected as der Führer on the way to creating Nazi Germany the previous year and in Spain itself General Franco had positioned himself as a dictator. Now in the background Churchill was trying to rally the nations together because he could see that there was this impending storm and tensions around the nations were palpable at the time. But look, I guess that life goes on and people find great release in sport. So that year 50 cyclists took on the wait for it 3,425 kilometre route in just 14 days for the first time. La Vuelta translates directly as the lap and these laps were in excess of 250 kilometres which seems absolutely bonkers considering that they were on old school bikes with old school nutrition and old school information about sports science. Now we know they weren't just fueling on pan y agua and I covered that in last week's podcast. Pan y agua everybody means bread and water so if a rider is on pan y agua it means that they're just fueling on natural sources and you know you won't find any banned substances, amphetamines or performance enhancing drugs in their systems. But the organisers created an insane and really hilly course and the aim really was to live up to the uh, reputation of a grand tour. Now, La Vuelta had a tough start because the Spanish Civil War, which had been simmering for years, but officially lasted from 1936 to 1939, well, it threatened to scupper La Vuelta's success before it could really even take off. So really from 1935 until 1955 the race struggled to survive you know there was wars going on internally and externally and there was just massive deprivation in Europe Europe was absolutely impoverished so all of this took its toll on the race 
Up until the mid-90s, La Valta was always run around the same time as the more popular Giro d'Italia, so most of the riders would choose Italy as their destination. Now, as I said, I've asked a few people, including Anthony, what their dream grant tour win would be and usually people say the Tour de France followed by the Giro d'Italia so maybe La Valta still hasn't kind of shaken off that you know last girl at the dance to be picked feeling but as I said in 1995 the International Cycling Association changed the cycling calendar and it moved the Spanish Tour from April to August so it's spaced out the three Grand Tours and that has helped boost its draw for all of the best riders. The way that they positioned the Vuelta this year it finishes about seven or eight days I think before the Worlds so it makes it more appealing for riders to come and race it. These days the leader's jersey is red but unlike the Tour with its yellow jersey and the Giro with its pink jersey, well, La Vuelta hasn't always stuck with the same colour leaders' jerseys. And the first colour they used was orange, then white, then back to orange, then white with a red stripe, then yellow. <laughs> then it changed to a darker golden colour called Oro, Jersey de Oro, which is uh, yeah the gold jersey. But in 2010, the leader's jersey colour was changed to red. And I think red is a colour that we really, we really associate with Spain. The first person to ever win the orange GC jersey was Gustave Delour of Belgium. He went on to win it the following year. But that year, an amazing new Spanish talent, Julian Berendero, was hot on his heels. Just weeks later, though, Berendero was taken prisoner during the Spanish Civil War and he languished in several concentration camps for years because Berendero was a marked man, basically. He was this public figure and he was very, very popular. And he actually supported the Republican cause against the dictator Franco. So he was thrown into one of these concentration camps and they were awful. They were riddled, as you can imagine, with disease, malnourishment, frequent beatings. He was only 27 at the time and he should have been at the height of a cycling career. And he was living in appalling conditions. At the time, he said that he feared he wouldn't survive, never mind ride his bike again. But after his release, he came back to win both the 1941 and 42 versions of La Vuelta. Isn't that incredible? During World War II, Franco and Hitler were at each other's throats about Spain's involvement. Now, for the time being, Spain refused to join Germany and stayed out of the war so the 1941 and 42 editions of La Vuelta went ahead, but by 1943 the world was just upside down. It was just inside out with conflicts and of course the event was cancelled for these years. It returned in 1945, it had a couple of years where it was run sporadically, but since 1955 it's been on the go, absolutely uninterrupted. Now, one of the big characteristics of La Valta is the infighting between the Spanish in their own home country race. Now, this I have to say, it's not an exclusive thing to Spain and we see it in France and Italy on these big grand tourist stages. Obviously, it's a matter of honour and pride to win in your own country and La Valta has had more of its share of bitter local rivalries and because of these conflicts, the races have often been won by foreign riders. So in 1953, a personal feud between potential winners Federico Bahamantes and Jesus Loronio opened a door for France's Jean Stablinski to take the race. 
So these two Spanish writers, their run-ins were epic. There's pictures of them holding each other's other back, you know, pulling the other person's jersey to hold them back or getting allies, um, other team members to do it for them. And even though they both rode for the Spanish national team in Grand Tours, they attacked each other no matter who was in front. They rode many races with the sole objective of ensuring that the other didn't win. So uh, (laughs) they just had this bitter feud going on and these two riders came to symbolize one of the most damaging and deep-rooted divisions within Franco Spain. You see Bahamantes wanted a united Spain but Loronio wanted a separation of the Basque country from the rest of Spain and coming from Ireland and seeing deep-rooted history we have here around the separation of Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland I can understand this feud to an extent but theirs was a rivalry that mixed everything it had everything That's why it was so passionate. It was social, political, economic, sporting and personal conflict. These two guys did not like each other. Apparently, Loronio was a total lightweight when it came to alcohol. And if he just had a sip of wine, he'd be absolutely pissed, like almost under the table. And this really got under his skin that Bahamantes could drink a bottle of wine at least for a night before races. So this feud, it was just basically self-sabotage and it caused the nation a lot of embarrassment. Now these feuds would be infuriating for Spanish fans of course but the media absolutely loved it. This trading of insults, the refusal to collaborate and constant accusations of foul play, cheating and betrayal. It's I I'm sure there is movies made about this. I would certainly watch it. I think it's just so fascinating hearing about these personalities. In Loronio's biography written by Javier Bodegas, he said that the rivalry reached grotesque levels of skullduggery. So this internal competition didn't end there. This is a very common thread that we see throughout the years in all of the Grand Tours. In 2002, we witnessed the spectacle of eventual race winner Aitor Gonzalez attacking his own teammate, Oscar Sevilla. Gonzalez denied the charge, but this was clearly a case of rivalry within one team and clear for everybody to see. But of course, there has been a lot of Spanish success in the race. And in 1985, when it appeared that Robert Miller, who is now transitioned to become the female Philippa York, was on the cusp of becoming the first British rider. I think Philippa is Scottish to win a grand tour. The entire Spanish peloton ganged up on him and colluded to allow Pedro Delgado to take the overall title and exclaimed after the win, the Vuelta is ours. So, of course, there has been a lot of times where they have worked together. On two occasions in 1968 and 72, a bomb planted by Basque terrorist Eta detonated on the roadside shortly before the Palestine was due to pass by. Now, no one was hurt and the race continued. And in 78, 1978, two stages in the Basque country were disrupted by the threat of violence. And the results of a time trial were actually completely annulled after many riders had objects thrown at them. 
That would be the last time the Vuelta visited the region until 2011 when Esha announced the end to its armed campaign. After Franco's death in the late 70s, Spain slowly dragged itself into being a first world economy. Laurent Fignon, who won the Tour de France in 83, 84 and the Giro d'Italia in 89, well he wrote an amazing book called We Were Young and Carefree and in it he spoke about the 1983 Vuelta and said... Everyone has forgotten what it was like back then. Spain had just emerged from the Franco era and it was like a third world country. For cyclists like us, the accommodation and the way we were looked after was not easy to deal with. Sometimes it was barely acceptable. Professional cyclists of today cannot even imagine what it was like in the 1980s in a hotel in the backside of beyond in the Pyrenees. The food was rubbish and sometimes there was no hot water morning or evening. So that's what he had to say about Spain in the early 80s. But even though the conditions weren't as cushy as the Tour of the Giro, the Vuelta continued to go from strength to strength in the 80s and 90s. And the 80s introduced loads of new international winners with the hardest of the hard men, Sean Kelly. Go on, Sean, claiming the 1988 race. And he claimed it for good old Ireland. But only a year before, Sean actually had to drop out of the race due to saddle sores. So that was just days from the finish when he had his first Grand Tour victory within his sights. He had to drop out. So about his win in 1988, I think it was even more special for him because he was forced to drop out the previous year. He said... It was a special feeling. I also took the points jersey for the fourth time and had a couple of stage wins. It still remains the high point of my career. Isn't that so cool? On to the 90s when we saw Tony Rominger win the Vuelta a España in 92, 93, 94 and he went, he won the Giro d'Italia in 95 also. Now Tony began cycling late in life. Allegedly it was spurred on by competition with his brother who was into cycling. So he was like, I'm going to go out and be better. I'm going to beat this fella. A bit of healthy competition. <laughs> Basically produced one of the best cyclists ever. So it's said that his strengths were time trialing, climbing and recuperation. And I love that one of his listed strengths is recuperation. I can just imagine him in between stages with a face mask on, cucumbers on his eyes and a green juice. <laughs> Maybe that's not what they mean by recuperation. Obviously, he has that bounce back ability thing and deals really well with fatigue. Now, the first editions of the 2000s were marked by the dominance of Roberto Heras, who achieved victory on three occasions. And in 2005, he did it for the fourth time. But Heras was disqualified days after the end of the competition because he tested positive in a doping test. Uh, yep, he was using EPO. Again, I, I was chatted at length about EPO last week. There was a lot of drama surrounding this disqualification. The positive test was ratified by another testing body. So they said, yeah, the test stands. And Heras was stripped of his title. And the title actually went to a Russian cyclist called Denis Menshov. Now, he held onto the title until 2012 when Spanish courts overturned the positive test and re-awarded the win to Heras. So a Spanish court overturned for a Spanish rider to win the Spanish Grand Tour. Hmm, I'm saying absolutely nothing about that. So La Vuelta in 2002 is going to be an emotional escapade and we can't 
not mention Alejandro Valverde, who is the Spanish writer for Movie Star. He is going to retire after the 2012 season. He's given so much to the sport. He actually won La Vuelta in 2009. This year, he has actually skipped the Tour de France to focus on the Giro and La Vuelta. How incredible would it be to see Valverde win this year? He seems to be getting better with age, but of course, this amazing form has raised some questions. So fairly or unfairly, Valverde, you know, he's dogged by questions about his role in a doping scandal that erupted in Spain in 2006, so quite a long time ago. But an international doping ring masterminded by Dr. Fuentes Uh, Basically, it was found out that he was a one-stop shop for a lot of the riders who were subsequently popped for using performance-enhancing drugs. Now, Dr. Fuentes is basically the Spanish counterpart to Italy's Michelle Ferrari, so very infamous in doping in sports. Valverde looked to have dodged the bullet in 2006, but in 2008, authorities matched a blood sample of Valverde to a bag of blood that had been seized from Dr. Fuente's office, and Valverde got a two-year ban. So off he went, and he served his ban very quietly, and he came back to the Peloton in 2012 to team Movie Star. Now, Valverde kept his mouth shut about the whole thing. He never provided any information about his relationship with Fuentes. You know, he never admonished doping. He's never really ever seen to publicly support cleaning up the sport in any way. And he just got back to the business of racing his bike, really. Now, although he has that checkered past, Valverde is a dude. He's given so much to racing and I will be shouting him on against all the young books like Ave Napole and Roglic this year. In a book called Viva la Vuelta by Adrian Bell and Sean Kelly, it says, the Vuelta has sought other ways to firmly establish its own identity. In the most recent period of its history, the Vuelta brand has become firmly associated not only with mountains, but with the most unrelenting, grueling slopes plucked from obscurity. Sounds awful, doesn't it? The race's organisers have Spain's impressive mountainous topography to mine and a network of informers who are often local cyclists keen to see their favourite training torture immortalised. I love that. (laughs) And speaking in 2016, race director Javier Golan said, We have to give the fans what they want. Cycling's business model depends on its audience. The sport is based on the epic, but epic isn't just about the kilometres. It is also about the efforts. So even though sometimes La Valta España, you know, it's regarded by some as being the runt of the Grand Tour later. I love its deep history. I love the passion that comes with this legendary race and that's why I will remain glued to it for years to come. So folks that's all from me this week. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed researching it. Literally the tip of the iceberg. There's countless stories that are associated with La Vuelta. As ever thank you for listening and don't forget you can keep sending your questions into me to sarah at roadmancycling.com. Okay, everyone, until next week, safe pedaling.
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Have you ever wondered how good you could actually be? Each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work, family and social obligations, but we also want to fulfill our potential in cycling. Okay, okay, maybe you won't ever win the Tour de France, but for most of us, this is what cycling is about. So let us build you the perfect training plan around your lifestyle that's totally unique to you and will help you finally realize your cycling dreams. So whether you're just getting started on the bike or if you're a more seasoned cyclist, we have a suitable coach for you. So why not schedule a call with us and we can have a chat about how we can help you go further than you ever dreamed of in your cycling and fitness goals. Go to roadmancycling.com forward slash contact or pop me an email directly to sarah at roadmancycling.com.